Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. That's all to say for now. More than half of the season left to go, but Manchester United have put themselves into an excellent position. Going to Anfield Sunday afternoon, the country's two biggest football clubs face off at the top of the Premier League. Welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast as we look ahead to a huge game for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and the club. I say huge game, Jack, but a win against Burnley, a, a good win against Burnley, means that we're three points clear at the top of the table. And that kind of gives this a, a free hit at Anfield. Yeah, it does. I I think a one 0 win against Burnley at the end of the season will not look like one of the more important results of the season. But I think for what it does and the way that it changes our approach to going to Anfield is, is massive. Obviously, the psychological boost from going there, top of the league, and genuinely top of the league as well by three points is obviously big. But I actually think the more important part is that I think the pressure almost now is com- almost completely off this United team. You know, we go to Anfield and we lose. Fine, it'd be a blow, but we're still only level one points with Liverpool. Yeah. We go there and we win. We're now six points ahead. All of the pressure is on Liverpool to not lose this game. And it, I think it completely changes the way that both managers approach the game, completely changes the way that the pressure is is put onto both teams. And that's why we said last week that this game against Burnley in midweek was so important because it changes the dynamic of the game at Anfield massively. Yeah. And now I'm not saying like, I don't think it changes who is favorite for the game. You know, it's, these teams haven't changed, but I think it does change the, the way that both teams might approach it. And in, in our case, the pressure is definitely, uh, it's not completely off. It will never be off for a game against Anfield, but it's a lot less than it would have been had yeah. not got the win at Turf Moor. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk more about the Liverpool game after we kind of look back to that Burnley game, which was last night. And, it, it it's a, I mean, we spoke last uh, at the weekend about having a good record away at Burnley, and and it's very true. Um, we think of Burnley, and I think 
certainly back to last January when Solskjaer seemed on the precipice and we lost to Burnley before Bruno Fernandes was signed and it, it was a really, really bad result. But that was at Old Trafford away at Turf Moor. We've got a decent record. And again, that showed it was it's a Burnley side who were very well organised. Tarkovsky and me in that central defence are a really difficult pairing to face. They've got great aerial strength. But not only that, but they the, the first 20 minutes Burnley played really well yeah, they were very very good yeah I, I was surprised to see that not only were they uh, very organised as they always are in terms of t- two banks of four and, and shifting up and down when required but they also put United under a bit of pressure in their defence and stopped us from being able to drop one Bissaka or Matic into that back three and have a comfortable time of it and and that made for a really uncomfortable first 20 minutes at least the second half was different and we imposed ourselves onto Burnley. We actually made some tactical changes as well, which we can go through in a second, but it, it ended up being a, a really good victory. Yeah, I think you've got to credit Burnley for the start that they made. It might not be the prettiest football that they play, and it, it, it's a little bit jarring in some ways, actually, to see a, a team in the Premier League at this point in time sort of playing a long ball-based game. But it's effective. And I think what was different, as you were saying, to most Burnley performances is that they weren't just happy to sit, sort of sit back and take what they can even you can see it just from the way they set up at goal kicks they came out to pressure us a lot higher than normal you know from goal kicks Chris Wood and uh, and Barnes were right on the edge of our box sort of ready to sprint to Maguire or Baye if they received the ball short from De Gea and it forced us to go long which obviously it's not not what we're, we're good at and it plays exactly into Burnley's hands so I think credit to them for what we did but I think also credit United for the way that we adapted at half time I think going in nil-nil after 45 minutes. I can't say that I was too optimistic for what would happen in the second half, given that it wasn't, you know, this wasn't a nil-nil first half where we were dominating, dominating yeah. and just couldn't put the finishing touches on. This was a really even game, actually. And, and I think you can make the argument that Burnley even maybe shaded the first half. We came out after half time completely different setup. I think Solskjaer did really well to change the way uh, that we were playing and it completely changed the flow of the game. Pogba took over. I thought he was brilliant. And in the end, it was a, a thoroughly deserved victory despite some, some nervy moments, right? Yeah. I mean, you think about the first half and we basically, it, it was a war of attrition and both teams went against each other and, and kind of fought each other. And we almost stooped to the Burnley's level. Um, and and to be fair, you, you say it's it's a shame that they play like that. And it would be a shame, for example, Wolves. Wolves really piss me off because they're a team with who have spent a huge amount of money and have great players and play in a really boring manner. Burnley is annoying to play against, but I respect it because I mean you saw the valuation of their, their team yesterday. Fought forty one yeah, million. I don't think it's a shame that they play that. It's just it's just jarring yeah. to see a Premier League team play that style now. It's just not something that you see very often. But yeah, it's effective. yeah. I feel like with them, it's, it's more fair enough than it is with like Wolves because. Burnley's team is kind of out of necessity rather than than choice in 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 the case of Wolves, I think. But yeah, it is jarring to play against. And I mean, it, we kind of fought against them in the first half, and I wasn't optimistic going into halftime. But we had had a, a what was to me a perfectly good goal ruled out. And we'll, I mean, we might as well do it. Now. I was going to hold off for a second, but I don't want to talk about VR decisions for very long. But very quickly, uh, the sure. Brady won in a couple of words what should the decision be and should Maguire's have been a goal or not I think it should have been a Brady 
sending off and a Maguire goal, but I think the Brady one has some debate to it and the Maguire one doesn't. I, I honestly am not too concerned with the decision of the Shaw one. I think it's one of the one one of those that you can make a justification for it either way. Shaw yeah. definitely does get a touch on the ball, but he starts are high. Um, and it's one of those ones that, especially in modern foot, with the focus on the studs being high and going over the top of the ball, I can 100% see why it was given. And I, and I think it was right that it was a yellow card to Shaw yeah. and not a red. I think if it was a red card, that would have been harsh. Um, and so given that, obviously that takes away Brady's red card. Yeah, yeah. I think if um, if Shaw wasn't a foul, it would 100% have been a red card for Brady. The Maguire one, I think is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I have to say, when I watched the, the initial slow motion replay, I thought it was a foul because it does look like Maguire's arm or hand is sort of pushing down on Peter's back. But when you actually watch it from sort of a few seconds before, it's literally just Maguire's momentum yeah. that yeah. bundles Peter's over because he's running from five yards away, yeah. which is exactly what he's supposed to do in that situation. Yeah. It's not his fault. He can't do anything about it. It should have been a goal. All right. We'll leave it at that. But yeah, a 95 kilogram, six foot four man running at someone is always going to probably knock them over regardless of where they put their hand in. But we'll leave it at that. But anyway, we, we go into halftime, nil nil, should have been one nil up. But we did change in the second half. The first half, we we tried to stretch their defence, but lacked the... Cavani didn't really give us that central outlet to make it work. And it was Wan-Bissaka who sat in the back three rather than Matic. And we didn't, we just didn't have any any tempo or speed to our game. We really, we needed a, 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 a very good right winger to stretch the game. We didn't have that. Rashford played in that position, but kind of came in a lot of the time and we focused on the left-hand side. The second half comes, Matic drops into the back three. That releases Pogba a bit. Our fullbacks go up. Wambasaka and Shaw both went further forward and Pogba excels. And it, it was a good tactical change and it was a good change from the players because not only did Solskjaer get the tactical change right, but he also calmed the players down at half-time and they a credit to them for coping with, with what was clearly a frustrating first half where two decisions rightly or wrongly one of them perhaps rightly one of them wrongly two decisions didn't go their way they coped with that social calm them down and then made the right tactical changes all round very good yeah I was I was very impressed I think the role of, of Matic and Pogba but particularly Matic has really been undersold in, in the, uh, the performance against Burnley I think his ability to be able to drop into a back three like that when we had the ball and and be that sort of distributor from the back was was massive for us. We were sort of lacking that in the first half. Like I said, we ended up playing into Burnley's hands a little bit with the way that they pressed us high and sort of forced us to go long, which is exactly the kind of game that they yeah. excel in. And so I think the way that we we dropped Matic in there created a little bit more options for us to pass the ball around the back, to get out of Burnley's press. And then, I mean, once you get the ball into Pogba or Fernandes on the half turn, I mean, you know, <laughs> at, at that point, it's pretty much game over Game over for the opposition. It was yeah. a matter of time. Uh, so yeah, I, I think good credit to, to Solskjaer and the players for the way they responded. I think it, it it's one of those games where it would have been really easy, I think, to come out at the start of the second half, almost a little bit shell-shocked and, and sort of go into your shell mm. because you're worried about sort of how aggressive and how well the opposition had played. And so I think, yeah, credit to sort of everyone involved that we didn't do that and we did continue to press on the front foot. And I think in the second half, you saw exactly why this team is in a much different position now to where, where we were oh, a year absolutely, ago. yeah. These are the kind of games, and I, I'd say it's about Villa and Wolves as well, you know, we would not have picked up nine points from those three games a year ago. We would have been probably staring at three or five yeah, yeah. maybe from these uh, three games. So I think that it, to me is is the biggest yeah. difference 
um, between where we where we are now and where where a yeah. year ago. And and people you you can and people have kind of made jokes about the Solskjaer's constant talking about a mentality change in the United DNA, and it, it's come in various different formats and in what he said. But the evidence is there. This is the evidence, and that is a, a credit to him and. He has got rid of the right players. He's kept the right players. He's brought in the right players and he has given his own mentality into that. And, and it, it has made a difference. What was also good is that not only has the mentality changed, but as you say, the second half, we didn't play to Burnley's strengths as much. And it, it's just really satisfying to see the, the players and the coaches adjust to the game. And so although we we did do this in a little bit in the first half as well, but more in the second, we tried to put crosses over the top of me and Tarkovsky and, uh, and have someone coming at the back post so that it, it would beat them. And, and to be fair, that's how Maguire scored his goal, which well, his ruled out goal, which was a brilliant header to be fair as well. But it's also our Pogba scored the, the winner is those either going over the top of Tarkovsky and me or kind of hanging that cross to the edge of the area or just inside the the area rather than um, above the six yard box. And, and it worked. Um, and Paul Pobber's goal was, was deflected and a, a little bit fortunate, but great technique to um, get the initial shot off. And, and this was another very good Pogba performance. We needed another few weeks before we start talking about him again, being a, a world-class player or anything. But for now, he he just is making a real difference to this team and and a, a huge difference. Oh, massively! I mean, I know the talk of of mentality is is sometimes overdone and can be a little frustrating when you see this team, as it has at times, I think over the last year, be lacking in sort of tactical now and tactical acumen. That all Solskjaer wants to talk about at times is sort of the mentality shift. But I think you're seeing why that was actually so important this whole time because we are so much mentally stronger now, you know, than we have been at any point probably in the last sort of four or five years. I mean, all you have to do is look at the way we've come back from so many disappointing starts and away games throughout this season. You know, I think still gone behind in six of our first eight away games or something, something like that. So that in itself shows that this is a mentally strong team. But I think also the way that we are able to adapt to new ways of playing during games. Solskjaer hasn't always been the best at adapting in-game and sort of changing our system. But whenever it has done, I think you've seen a team that is not only flexible, but also is willing to sort of try new things and understands their roles in all of those different systems. I can't really say enough about sort of how well we have shifted that mentality. And I think I think away games is probably the best example of that. When, you know, you go back to under Mourinho, you know, we we were struggling to ever impose ourselves on any away yeah. game. You know, every single game, even if we put in an okay performance, it was generally, you know, sort of get one or two goals, but you'd be in a, a real sort of scrap and a real sort of arm wrestle with whatever team we were playing. You never saw a second half performance like you did against Burnley where, you know, we were clearly the dominant team. We really were imposing ourselves on Burnley and it was just a matter of if we could finish the ball, finish the, uh, the chances we yeah. created. That has been lacking in the past. And it's, I think that mentality of we are Manchester, you know, we should be imposing ourselves on this game. That is massive. Yeah. And I think that the general mentality change has helped with Pogba as well. And we can talk specifically about how Sorcerer has handled Pogba and how Pogba has handled the recent months as well. But I think the the overall mentality of a team that is on its way to winning, uh, 
uh, I guess, led by Bruno Fernandes, but also just this all round feeling at the club that everyone is on the same path means that when Pogba does, when Raola does, does make those comments, Pogba sticks out like a sore thumb in a way that maybe he didn't a couple of years ago when that would happen, when we had a recent past of people like Di Maria not returning to pre-season or people turning up late to training and whatever. And now kind of, it's almost as if Pogba has to fit in. Otherwise he's, he is going to look even worse. And there's also Pogba is, is playing very well and it has the right attitude on the pitch, but Solskjaer has handled it very well. Roller came out as always. And, and it looked like it was yet another similar situation where uh, he was either going to have to go or we were going to have to make him undroppable again. And that hasn't happened. Solskjaer hasn't exiled him, but he hasn't made him an undroppable player either. He's got Pogba playing well, but also working hard, speaking well. And that is a, a another testament to him. It is testament to Solskjaer. I think... I think my take on this, to be honest, is that most of I think the the positive things that have come out of this sort of new new stage in the Pogba United saga or relationship. I think the biggest thing, honestly, more than anything else, is simply that we're a good team playing well. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think that it, it's it's hard to to fully appreciate how much of a difference that makes to the way that a situation like the Pogba situation plays out because. It all works in a cycle. You know, you have Raiola making these statements. And if we're if we're a team not playing very well, as to be fair, as we weren't when it first happened, you know, then the media jumps on it because it it's just a it's the train to jump on now, the sort of turmoil at Manchester United, which starts and stems from sort of bad performances on the pitch. The extra media attention makes it seem like it's a bigger deal than it really is, which makes Solskjaer more likely to react to it, either by ostracizing Pogba or by making him undroppable. But then when you have a team that's playing well, all of a sudden, no one wants to talk about stuff that's happening off the pitch with Man United. It's all about the transformation on it. You know, how well we're playing, the impact of Bruno Fernandes, the way that Solskjaer has turned this team around. Could we go on and win the league? You know, all these various things that it means that even if there is stuff going on with Pogba, it doesn't get the same media attention that it usually would. It therefore doesn't get blown out of proportion. And that means that even from Solskjaer's point of view, there doesn't feel like such a need yeah. to have to take drastic action against him. He can just treat him as any other player. And that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Let's talk about Cavani a bit. Cause Cavani started this game, came back from his suspension and started as the number nine, Martial on the left, Rashford on the right, Fernandez behind. I mean, he offered what he always offers, which is movement and uh, signs that he was going to finish something off at some point. He didn't in the end. But to me, this was, this isn't to say that Cavani should never start games, but to me, this was a kind of game where he, it didn't suit him. Um, and it suited him maybe better to come off the bench because he wasn't involved in the build up play at all. And if you compare it to when Martial starts up front in these games, now Cavani is a better finisher than Martial. Cavani is better at moving than Martial. He's more, uh, got more intelligence to his movement. But Martial's hold-up plays and, and build-up play in this is better. I mean, first half, Cavani had 10 touches, even though we had 67% possession. And against a, a a team that's defending and sitting back against a low block like Burnley, you need that central striker to, to be a, a real outlet, to be involved in the build-up play so you don't have to just rely on crosses, on getting it wide and sticking the ball in. And we didn't get that with Cavani. Um 
And the key in the second half wasn't him. It was Pogba coming forward, as, as we've said, and the fullbacks coming forward. So it's certainly something to think about, especially going into the Liverpool game as well. It's a different opposition, but going forward this season, maybe it's a sign that Cavani is brilliant as a bench option, but maybe that is his role. I think partly what you saw against Burnley is that Cavani's movement is very, very good, but it's very good when there's already sort of a an established attack that has already been formed. Yeah. So, you know, it's situations like crosses, like corners, like making a run off the shoulder of a defender when, say, Fernandes picks up the ball. But when you sort of need him to be the focal point of an attack and sort of create, maybe not necessarily create a chance, but just create a sort of sustainable attacking situation, that's where his game falls down a little bit. You know, you, we needed him. And I, and I completely actually understand the decision to play him against Burnley because the temptation is getting a striker that's slightly bigger physically than Martial or Rashford, who on paper looks like they're better at holding the ball up, uh, maybe better at winning some of those uh, long balls in the air that Burnley had forced us to play. And it, it just didn't really work out. I think he, his movement wasn't good enough to be an option when, say, Matic or Maguire or Bailly or even Pogba picked up the ball. He wasn't doing enough to sort of come short and create those passing lanes so that we could get the ball forward and then sort of come off of Cavani out into the wide areas or into Fernandes and build attacks from there. We were effectively just missing sort of the the sort of tip of our of our team in a lot of ways. And so ended up the ball just being recycled through midfield to either Shaw, Wan-Bissaka, and then into Rashford and Martial, where the attacks would inevitably break down. And so I, th- I think we're really just seeing that, that Cavani's game is built on taking advantage of already good attacking situations, which I, if you think about a lot of the places where he's been successful for Man United... They are situations where we've been chasing leads and have, you know, had been playing against a team that's sitting back a lot. And so the second half against Southampton yeah. being the best example of that, you know, we were chasing the game. We had, you know, enough players being thrown forward that we always had those established attacks. And so then Cavani's movement from situations like crosses could be exploited. Yeah. But I think, yeah, from from the start against a team like Burnley, it, his, his game just doesn't really seem suited yeah, to it. But he, he would be a great option off the bench. So it's 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 not to say there's no role oh, for absolutely. him in those games. It's just maybe his impact. And would also probably be great playing alongside another yeah. striker. That obviously isn't something that United will be doing anytime yeah. soon. Well, it, it leads into um, looking ahead to the Liverpool game. And we'll start with a, a question from uh, one of our patrons, Dave Shevlin, who asks, what is our strongest eleven to go toe-to-toe with anyone right now? So he's not asking against Liverpool. He's not asking against Burnley. He's kind of saying, he gives a bit more context and says, what's our strongest 11 regardless of opposition? If if we didn't know who we were playing, but we wanted to win, what's our strongest 11? I, I would say De Gea, Wan-Bissaka, Bay Maguire, Shaw. That bit's easy. <laughs> And then, then you get into yep. into some difficulty. I probably the last bit's easy. It's this middle bit that's difficult. Well, no, the, but the last bit's a little bit difficult as well. I probably would go with a front three of of Martial on the left, Rashford on the right, and Cavani up top, just because I think that gives you that gives you the ability to stretch the opposition better having Rashford on the right. But there's a bit of me that's tempted to say Pogba on the left, Rashford on the right, Martial through the middle. It's, it's it's a really difficult one. I think to go toe-to-toe with anyone, I'd probably go with that McTominay-Fred midfield to give United the ability on the counter-attack and the energy and, and to break up play as well. 
the, the question is then, do you go Pogba, Martial, Rashford, Rashford, Cavani, Martial, or do you drop Martial entirely and go Rashford, Cavani, Pogba, which is something I don't think we've seen yet. Yeah, it's actually a, quite a difficult question, not only because of the personnel, but also the formation. Like this United team is yeah. is so adept at playing different systems. So yeah, the, the back five, I think, picks itself. I'll go for the same as you. I've got sort of three options in my head. You can sort of go with the 4-2-3-1, a diamond, or the 4-3-3. If I was going 4-3-3, I'd probably go McTominay, Fred, Pogba as the three. Or oh, would I want Matic in there at the, at the <laughs> base over McTominay? So that, I think Matic, the, is, Matic is the best holding midfielder we've got. But the question, if you're going toe-to-toe with anyone, yeah, I feel like you're kind of, you're preparing yourself for the best possible opposition. And in these games where we come up against the best possible opposition, I'm thinking McTominay and Fred, that double pivot rather than Matic. Matic individually, I think is still a better player than either McTominay or Fred. But I also don't think he works quite as well in tandem with other players as McTominay and Fred do. So yeah, I'd probably go with a midfield three of McTominay, Fred and Pogba. And then a front three... I guess of Fernandez, Martial, Rashford. That would it be if it was a four-three-three. But then, part of me actually wants to say, I think actually the best way of maximizing every single player at our disposal might be a diamond with McTominay at the base, Fred on the right, Pogba on the left, Fernandez as the number ten, and then Rashford and Martial as strikers. Interesting. I think the the problem with the four-three-three is that. Both Rashford and arguably Fernandez are not in their ideal positions, yeah. which seems silly given that they are two well, of the best why players. I think the, but probably gives us a better balance. That's why I think the four-two-three-one clear. I think clearly suits United best in terms of personnel. Is whether, despite that, another system is better because the four-two-three-one allows you to have Fernandez in his best position, Rashford in his best position. In the in that diamond dimension, I just really that is the problem. With yeah, four two three one. Yeah, although I I think him in that left cent, left midfield role is is a he's a great player there. But I, I just think in the Rashford? diamond you suggested, I'm concerned by McTominay at the base of that. Yeah, I think McTominay. I think we we're yet to figure out what the best position is for McTominay. Partly because he developed into this kind of midfielder so late, he was an attacking midfielder and a striker when in his younger days. And I think we might eventually see him become a uh, like a box to box midfielder, which he he, can, he he shows signs of at the moment. But we kind of think of him at the moment. I think as as not quite like Matic, but in a similar role. And and that's not really what he's suited to. I don't well, think. I think I think you could quite comfortably put Fred at the base instead. Um, which actually, I yeah. think I think we may have actually got on Solskjaer for doing that exact thing that I suggested and against. Is it like Leipzig or I think it might be Leipzig. Yeah. PSG. Um, well, we, we sort of played a, a diamond and had played a diamond just a few days before, um, and Fred had played. I think it was that Fred had played at the base, and then we switched it for Leipzig or something. Yeah, um, it was something like yeah. I, I think that the problem is, I think the way, the way to maximize, to me, I think there's a, a tension here between getting the best balance in midfield and maximizing the output 
and and are and putting them in the best position for our best attacking players in Pogba, Fernandez, and Rashford. I think if you put all all three of those players in their ideal positions, which to me is Fernandez as a number ten, Pogba as sort of a left sided midfielder, and Rashford as either a striker or a left midfielder, basically just not as a right winger. Yeah, I think it compromises the balance in midfield. But to get the ideal balance in midfield, you have to compromise at least one of those players' positions. I think you end up. I think for me, if if I had to give you an answer right now, I would go Rashford on the right, Pogba on the left, and Cavani up front, which is which we haven't seen yet. Um, so maybe it, it's silly to say. And I think this has me being a, a little bit biased because of Martial's inconsistent recent form, and I would be. I think I, I'd be concerned for our build-up play with Cavani just there against certain oppositions, but because you've got Pogba in that left midfield position, it gives you a bit more. I, and I think I think you have to you have to compromise on Rashford because you need someone on the right to stretch the defence, and, and basically we need a midfield a right winger. And it, it's an interesting one because it kind of it makes you think what more the United need to keep up a title challenge. And, and I mean, let's not wuss out the question. Um, I think we have to put our necks on the lines. How long will we be in the title race for? We are top by three points now. And, and where do you think we'll finish? Um, I'll let you think while I while I go. <laughs> but I think basically if <laughs> the problem is, if this was a normal January, you'd be saying if United can sign either a good right winger or a good holding midfielder, then they've got a chance to be in it the whole way. The other option is that the side keep improving, but they have to keep improving in terms of their attacking quality. And I'm not sure they can do that enough to end the season in the title race. I think we will end up finishing third, but not far off Liverpool and City. And I think at the moment I'd back City to win the league. I think this is this is a little bit of a cop out answer, but not entirely. I think <laughs> I think the the amount of time that we will stay in the title race is less dependent on ourselves and more dependent on whether Liverpool yeah, and your yeah. City regain the form that they've shown in the last couple of years' seasons. I, I would be pretty confident True. saying that United will finish with between like 72 and 83 points, somewhere probably in that rough rough range, sort of mid to high 70s, maybe low, low 80s at push. Now that has won the title in the past. Leicester won the title with that many points. That was also a really strange season where no none of the top teams sort of kicked on as, as you would expect. That could happen again. You know, if at this current rate, I think we're at yeah, what, 30, 36 points after 17 games. So we're averaging just over two points a game, very, very slightly over it. That would get us to, yeah. you know, 76, 77, 78 points. I think that's about actually the, the ballpark where we will probably finish. It So to me, it, it really depends whether Liverpool or City stick with this inconsistent form and end up averaging themselves around two points per game or whether you'd start to see Liverpool or City start going on a run that we know they're capable of and and effectively um, and effectively just start winning every game because they are capable even at this point I think of finishing on sort of 90 points where I don't see us having that ceiling I would say if I had to put a prediction on it I reckon we'll be within five points of Liverpool until very late on in the season. So I think some some sort of faint hope will be there until probably at least yeah. like mid-April. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you look at the table last season, what's the difference? Liverpool are 13 points. 
worse. No, 16 points worse off, I think, after 17 games. They were, they're on 33 now. They were on 49 last year. And we are 11 points better off. We were on 25 after 17 games last year and we're on 36 now. So that, that's a huge swing in both directions, not just one. Yeah. So I, it's not, it, we can't say we're not top of the league just because Liverpool have got worse, but we're also not top of the league just because we've got better. Right. Um, it needs both of those things to continue yeah. for us. Exactly. To stay there. Yeah. And I'm, I think at, at, the, at this point, I'm actually slightly more confident that our we'll hold up our end of the bargain, but the Liverpool won't. Okay, yeah, yeah, I think I agree. Yeah, I mean, yeah, all City. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, it, yeah, it's nice to be top for now. Let's talk about Sunday. It's a uh, it's a huge game for for everything we've just spoken about because six points clear. It would also take us a, a little bit further clear of City as well. Who are who will slowly start picking up their games in hand over the next few weeks? Um, we were answering Dave's question about strongest starting eleven. What do you think are Liverpool's weaknesses, apart from just the fact that they have no central defenders, um, <laughs> and and even having having shelved the conversation about our strongest eleven, what should we go for? Because the, the way I see it, I think we've got. We have three options, really. You've got the old Solskjaer option, which I don't think you'll go for, but would represent the kind of tactic he used to go for in big games where you have split strikers with speed, like Dan James and Marcus Rashford. And you go three at the back, maybe bring Twanzebean or you bring Lindelof in with by, and you hold on for as long as you can until you've still got a chance with... 30, 40 minutes to go and then you bring on Edison Cavani, Greenwood uh, and Pogba if he doesn't start. So you, that, that's the option where you've got three at the back which would probably be by Maguire Lindelof but perhaps by Twanzebe Lindelof uh, by Twanzebe Maguire, sorry. And then on the, the wing backs would be Wambasaka and Shaw uh, and then in midfield McTominay, Fred and then Fernandez behind James and Rashford. Now that's a very different option to what you kind of expect, but it, it is an option. The other two options are kind of the diamond or the four-two-three-one we've been playing with recently. But I think it's it's probably going to be McTominay, Fred in midfield, isn't it? Yeah, almost definitely. Um, I saw some people, you know, sort of saying worried about Sunday, given that Matic and Martial both had little knocks at the end of the game yesterday. I, I'd be very surprised if Matic starts. You know, massively surprised. I'd be very surprised mm-hmm. if Pogba starts as well, as not unless he. Solskjaer follows uh, Harry's advice and puts him at like left wing. I doubt he'll be anywhere in midfield. I'm I'm torn on on whether three at the back makes sense against Liverpool. Part of me wants to say that it does because then you could get the wing backs pushed up a little bit higher and have better defenders against their fullbacks, who obviously are a, ma- a massive source of uh, of their creativity. And part of the issue is that normally you have sort of the likes of say Rashford or Martial or Dan James marking Alexander-Arnold and um, and Robertson, which obviously is not ideal, but also means that your your forwards are sort of pushed back the whole time. So even if you do want to counter-attack, it makes it difficult. Yeah. So part of me thinks that would be a good idea to sort of put that on the wing-backs and not put that burden on our forwards so much. But then also, if you're going to put the wing-backs on Liverpool's full-backs, it means that we effectively go 1v1 against Salah, Firmino and Mane with a back to yeah. say Maguire, Twanzebi and Bailly. 
And I don't know, not they're not capable of that, you know, and that, that's not a knock against those three players. It's more just a an acknowledgement of just how good Liverpool's front three is. And I don't think any three defenders in the world yeah. would be a good idea to sort of leave them one-on-one against all those three. I I agree. I agree, but I, I, I definitely agree. But is it is it the best we're going to be defensively? Because yeah, they, you envisage those three against a back four where uh, to be, this is the kind of game that Wan-Bissaka should do well in, where he isn't challenged airily, but he can come up on those one-on-ones against, I suspect will be uh, Mane. Um, probably Mane to start with at least. This is where Wan-Bissaka should excel. Um so it is an interesting one. I guess the the concern with that three at the back and, and James and Rashford up top, uh, and it doesn't have to be James, but I think he gives you the work rate in terms of pressing and the the speed, um, even if he doesn't really give you the end product that much, um, is who's feeding them. Yeah, exactly. And I guess Fernandez is. But ideally, you'd have someone with Pogba's range of passing, but also... Some the same person who could fill one of the McTominay Fred roles, and we haven't got that. McTominay and Fred can't play those no. balls. Uh, Pogba can, Matic sometimes can, but McTominay and Fred can't. So that's a worry, and it makes me wonder whether he will go Pogba because Pogba's work rate's been good recently, his positioning's been good, but it would be brave because it needs Pogba's. I think it would need to be Pogba's best ever performance for United. Yeah, it would. It really would. And then the issue you get into is it. It sort of makes sense logically and on paper that you want Pogba in the team, as we were just saying, to sort of be able to release us like that, but maybe don't want him to be relied upon to do the sort of defensive duty of a defensive midfielder. So then you play him a bit higher up the pitch. Yeah. But as we've seen so so many times before, it just doesn't, for whatever reason, doesn't seem to quite work. You know, you play him, if you play him wide on the left, sure, maybe, maybe that could work, but then you're also taken away either Rashford or Martial's best position. You obviously can't play him as number 10 because that's where Bruno Fernandes plays. So it just, it becomes difficult to almost know how to put Pogba into uh, into these games. Part of me is tempted to just say, you know what, Pogba is good enough and he, he would be such a, a massive boost for us going forward that it's worth getting him in. Yeah. But I honestly don't know. I think actually what, one thing that's going to be really important in this game is Fernandes' defensive work. He has a habit of when he either he loses the ball or the team loses the ball that he he sort of runs a bit like a headless chicken and, and sort of <laughs> just chases back whoever's carrying the ball, which is, you know, a really admirable quality and, and normally is absolutely fine. But I think the person who's going to be really, really key to this game is Tiago. I think Tiago yeah, is, is yeah. the one who has you know, if if I think you play United and Liverpool without Tiago, I think it's actually a very even game. And having watched Liverpool without them for so long, I think that sort of backed it up. But and admittedly, Thiago hasn't sort of hit his heights yet since returning from injury. But he is the one that I think really could change the tempo of this game and really be the one dictating everything from midfield. Whereas without him, I think we have the ability to make this a bit of a helter skelter game where everything is done 100 miles an hour. There might not be that much quality, but the game basically just moves at the speed of light, which would probably suit us. Whereas I think Thiago has the ability to evade any pressure that we put on him, dictate that yeah. tempo. And so I think Fernandez's role defensively on Thiago 
would will actually be really important that he doesn't afford him too much space because he's yeah. Chased. Well, he also he he stops their reliance on on Alexander Arnold and Robertson. He, exactly. he they they can be marked out of the game, and you've still yeah. got that creativity in the middle. So it, it is a problem. Um, yeah, and it's a good point. Fernandez will. I, I don't know whether it will be Fernandez marking him or someone will be. Someone else will be given that job. It's an interesting. It seems, one. Like the, uh, it seems like the kind of job that Jason Park would have been made to yeah. now mark about or Herrera more recently. Yeah, um, I guess there's the more we talk about it, the more I think that maybe the the old social method of three at the back and and split strikers. I, I just think if they can do that and hold on until the hour mark and then bring on Cavani and Pogba, that that's an incredible chance to go and win it. The problem is whether they're good enough to hold on. And to be honest, I'm not sure that's dependent on United. I think that's kind of dependent on which Liverpool shows up. Um, So it is a difficult one. I mean, we've discussed plenty of options and I'm sure they they have been thinking about this for a couple of weeks already. Yeah, I I think this has probably been uh, in the background, a bit of sort of a master plan coming through for this game. And I'm assuming as well that every lineup that we've had in the last few weeks has been building towards this. I think I'm, I'm very, very intrigued, honestly, about what lineup we put out. I think the problem with Liverpool is, I mean, they're such a good team when they're at their best. There's not ever going to be an 11 you can put out that completely stems the tide. of Yeah, anything. exactly. Yeah. Um, they, they'll probably you, you score. To, right. And I, I think to some degree, you almost have to pick your poison and just say like, right, I am dedicated in this game to stopping say Alexander Arnold and Robertson and then sort of not not say go ahead you can score coming through midfield but almost be okay with the fact that they might have a bit more success coming through midfield because you've put a lot of time yeah. and resources into stopping them coming down down the wings that feels that feels maybe like a good way to go purely because Robertson and Alexander Arnold are just so good and that is their main source of creativity and it's almost like if you're good enough to beat us with the worst part of your team, which is probably at least going forward, which is the midfield, fair play. Uh, but we're yeah. not going to let you do it with sort of your main your main source of supply. I, yeah. I, I think it's going to be a great game, honestly. I think both managers will probably surprise us a little bit with the tactics that they go for. I, I just can't wait. This is, I think, <laughs> I mean, without it's, a doubt, it's... I, would you agree this is probably the biggest game since Ferguson retired? I, I don't know. Because it, ultimately it isn't, I mean... It's not it's the a, biggest in terms of what is at stake. Yeah. I think it maybe yeah. is the biggest in terms of excitement. Yeah, I, I might agree with that. I was I was going to say, just talking about, because I haven't really thought about it properly yet until we've just had this conversation because there's been Burnley and there's been Watford and whatever. Uh, we didn't know where we'd be in the table and whatever. But just talking about it now, talking about the options, talking about their players has has really got me excited it's got my blood going <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> that it, it, it like there is that real feeling of this is a big game and and not only this is a big game but this could be a brilliant game of football now they could yeah. surprise us all and Klopp could shut up shop and Solskjaer could shut up shop and we could have a nil-nil like we did under Mourinho at Anfield but it, it has the potential to be to be brilliant um yeah and yeah, it is it is exciting. And it's an exciting prospect. Um These are also I think what what makes this game so intriguing is that these are two teams almost perfectly set up to exploit the weakness in the other one. Yeah. As well. You know, yeah. both teams defensively, despite having relatively good defensive records, 
can be got at and especially can be got at with with fast counter-attacking football um, yeah. which both of these teams are sort of built on to some degree so it, it could easily sort of be like a five-five game but yeah watch it'll probably end up being both <laughs> managers risk averse nil-nil yeah but this, I mean, giving it all this build-up but this this is what we support United and, and we follow football for is that the, the, the next we're recording this Wednesday it's 10 to 6 and for Wednesday night Thursday Friday Saturday I'll be thinking about this game yeah 100%. and then for the days that come after it as well and that sense of excitement and that sense of excitement would be times 10 if this was a normal Premier League season and if fans were allowed and if oh, there was a chance of getting a late ticket for Anfield or anything but it's still there that that feeling of excitement and tension and nervousness and butterflies is is still there. Yeah, I, oh, a million percent. I think like, I mean, could you imagine the scenes in the away end if we if we went ahead at Anfield? I know, and, no. and we were in this situation <laughs> of the can't. season. I mean, oh, yeah, Marcus Rojo in the away end. You know, he'd be going mental as he yeah, was a few years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Phil Jones, Michael Carrick. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say they've all been yeah, in. That, there. Was, that was that's the only time I've been to Anfield was celebrating with Phil Jones when when Rudy scored the winner um, yeah right we'll wrap things up there thanks for listening Harry Carrick can go watch the game from the uh, from the away stand instead of on the bench <laughs> yeah. by himself him Darren Fletcher and, and uh, Mark Dempsey yeah, <laughs> yeah. right we'll wrap things up um, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves we're not saying we're going to win the league um, not even halfway through the season or anything like that but it's it's certainly exciting time it's to, mental that isn't it that we're Middle of January, we're not I know, halfway yeah. through the season yet. Yeah, it's so different, but certainly an exciting time. Um, thank you for listening. Enjoy the game this weekend. Uh, I think you know where to find us on Twitter if you want to see our reactions on what will be a, a tense, tense day on Merseyside. But we'll see you after for some reaction. Bye for now. Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.